Hello and welcome to Navigating Change from Tybal Link. My name is Pete Wright. Thanks for downloading. What you're about to hear is part four of our conversation between Howard Tybal and John Elder, VP of Administration for Berklee College of Music in Boston, on strategic planning in higher education. If you missed the first three parts of this conversation, make sure to visit tybalink.com slash podcast to get caught up and subscribe to the show. Without further ado, I'm thrilled to present our conversation with John Eldert and Howard Tybel on Building Your Vision 2020. Why is it that uh, that you're not seeing so much collaboration in the at the at that higher level uh, and uh, particularly in academics? What is it that's taken so long uh, f- for that realization to hit? Well, you're asking for a candid answer to a complicated question here. But the candid answer is that ego, not always personal ego, institutional ego, uh, does Harvard see that it can benefit by collaborating with Berkeley, for example? Well, Tufts and Bees Boston College and Berkeley can collaborate to mutual advantage. So those are three very different kinds of institutions. It can be done, but it takes an understanding of that. Two, the personal risk of the players, you know, your purchasing manager or your benefits manager, has to be assured that their head isn't hanging in the balance by taking the risk of doing something different than you've been doing for the last hundred years. So that's a leadership challenge. Someone has to tell them it's okay to experiment. It's okay if it doesn't always work out, or to your point, Howard, it doesn't work out in the next six months. It's going to take us two years of investment in health management to begin to see eight or 10 or 12 percent reduction in our benefits claims. The other thing I see, John, is that you know, when a president takes over in their role, they come up with some key initiatives in the length of their term, whether it's five years, and there's only so much you can take on. Well, there's almost so much. I mean, these really complex organizations like a BU or an MIT or a Harvard, you can't see down into that complex an organization because of its scale to have any sense of the inner workings with much fidelity. Yeah. So you, that's not your zone to play in. Right. And, and I think all of these are, are descriptions of the effect of limited bandwidth. We are bombarded by so much stimulus that the ability to focus on the things that matter right. is the differentiator. Right. And, and what John and I have agreed on is that one of the key things, and I see this all the time, is that if you can give people a template or a structure to start putting the data in together so they can begin to see the patterns – Versus waiting for them to sort of have this epiphany and realize it ties. That's not going to happen. There's a bit of a hand-holding. And then what happens is the momentum begins to build because other institutions goes, look what this institution did. And then they want a piece of it. And that's how I've seen these positive momentums happen. Like service centers was a concept that some have had for a long time. But it is now becoming, and the economy was a driver on this one, where everybody's talking about we need to do more shared services because it's going to be a way that we're going to get economies of scale and we're going to be able to save money potentially on not having to continually hire a new staff person for every single job. We can retain what we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we, we did that in the Boston Consortium with shared risk management or buying of insurance procurement initiatives. We have a shared internal audit function actually lives at Brandeis, but services other campuses and there's a revenue feedback loop. Yes. So that that is starting to take hold. Yes. But very cautiously. Yes. And, and the other part of the risk, candidly, is that the administrative service side 
of these complex campuses are really sort of a second-class culture with respect to the academic side or the management school or the medical school because they are presumptively the experts in their field and, and the, the rest of us folks just provide services to them. But it doesn't mean that we can't. Matter of fact, it absolutely does not mean that we shouldn't be leaders comparable in our sector for the leadership that they have in their sector. That's a great point. And I don't know why we couldn't choose to do that. Yeah. And that needs to be a president down thing, which is why aren't we the leaders in academic administration, just like we're the leaders in medicine and management and nanotechnology and the other cutting edges of, of developmental theory around here. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it's almost like a self-perpetuating identity. You know, that, and, downtrodden in some ways. Yeah, yeah and, and in some ways, the, the, the fresh blood, the outside perspective, which I'm seeing more and more happening in higher ed, is that as, as new people are, as hiring is beginning to shift, you're seeing a recognition that we need a perspective that's not just internal uh, on someone else from another hire. I mean, it's nice when you can hire within because I think it demonstrates that there is a leadership track or that there's a career track in uh, in your in your field. But I think there's something to be said for higher ed recognizing that we need to continue to get a fresh perspective and bring in people with those fresh perspectives, but not turn it into a business. Right. And that's the dilemma. Yeah, it is. I mean, the cultural conflict is very strong. It's strongest at the board level, where there's a presumption uh, from board members who are predominantly from business and industry that that way of doing things is the preferred way. Of course, that it's hard to connect to the fact that these institutions, the academic institutions have been around for hundreds of years, have huge capitalization ratios to income, and so if you're, if you're looking at business metrics, there isn't a business on the planet that looks anything like these academic businesses. They've got durability, they've got profitability, they've got, you know, reputation. So it can't be presumptive either side. The truth of the matter is, particularly at the tactical level, there's a lot of things can be learned from business and industry applied to particularly the back office aspects of our institutions. Yeah. And, and Economist Magazine a couple weeks ago had a cover article led to a one-page description about global leadership, the cutting-edge managers globally. What are they doing? They are fierce competitors in their business lines, but they're collaborators in their back office stuff because taking that rising tide all boats metaphor, they figured out if they own together the distribution network, even though they're competing on the product line, they're still better off together doing that than all the rest of the competition who are still yeah. doing the distribution in the old-fashioned yeah. disconnected way, you know? That's and they're sharing common parts behind a very different yeah. product line. And that's we so, be doing the same thing. But yeah, and that's so out of the box because there isn't a distinction between – there isn't the critical enough thinking of it between what it is we're sharing that's going to help all of us versus it, we can have that, but we can also compete on something different. It's not one or the other. Yeah, we, we had uh, John Walda and uh, some representatives from IBM come talk with the consortium board, Boston Consortium Board, a couple of years ago. And the theme there was fascinating. John Walda, the president of Nakubo. And, and the, they were talking, IBM was talking about what if we ran a shared services procurement accounts payable operation in the background? I mean, there's no identity in that. There's no reputation in that. It's a pure business transaction. Do it and extract off the uh, the margin and do more productive stuff with it. On, on that same theme, 
when you look around, you know, we're sitting on the seventh floor looking out over Harvard and MIT right now. When you look at the greater Boston area and you say, wow, these guys have spent somewhere in excess, something like $300 million in the last 10 years since Y2K on ERP systems. <laughs> nobody likes what they got and nobody's done. Right. Okay, that's really stupid because if you look at $300 million against a maximum student base of you know, 200,000, whatever the number happens to be, there's no business in the world that would have that kind of ratio. Right. So we are just squandering scarce resources in a very unproductive fashion. So business, and, and so what IBM told John Walder and the rest of us was, we 10 years ago had 750 CIOs. Now we have five or seven or some number like that. Well, if IBM can do that degree of aggregation around common data, our colleges and universities are doing the exact same accounting in essentially the same way, except for anecdotal idiosyncrasies in their detailed business process. But the rules are the same for all of us. The data structures are mandated by FASB and GASB. We're all using some variation of five or six or seven ERP systems, using them all differently, using them to different degrees of inefficiencies. But the point is, you could easily envision one service provider working for everybody here, as a wholly owned subsidiary of the local institution that did the damn accounting and reporting and financial systems and audit and all that stuff. Can you imagine what kind of margins in there? But how do you get people to entrust their most oh, vital yeah. data and their core transactions to somebody other than themselves? So when that answer is found, a lot of other answers will flow with it. But the dollars are just too much to be left untended somewhere in this next decade, one would think. Right. We can't cry poor and stressed and can't pay our taxes if we can't get our own internal efficiency straightened out to at least that degree. Right. And we right. all do payroll differently. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, that's excellent. That's that's fascinating. I think we've we've you know we've talked all over the place, uh, kind of winding down to this point. And I wonder if I could get some final thoughts from each of you on, uh, you know, if you if you were to take yourselves out of uh, out of your familiar sort of higher education community in Boston. I mean, we've talked, you mentioned Tufts and Amherst and BU and BC and, and Berkeley, of course, and, and move into a community that may not have quite the rich opportunity for, for uh, you know, collaboration and shared services, et cetera, but, but is just trying to get the ball rolling on thinking about driving these new, driving to a new vision and a new mission and really executing. Uh, can you in, in some way serve to summarize the conversation by talking about how these other institutions might get started, uh, might get started in changing behavior and changing the way they think and, and, uh, and, and give some words of advice for, for folks who, who are looking to get to that next level of, frankly, maturity? I'm going to let John start with this, and then I'll, I'll, I'll tag along. Well, well, I think it's as simple, which is equals complex in our world here, uh, it's as simple as getting clarity around information and data and analysis of that data. You know, whether I'm at Gettysburg or Franklin and Marshall or, uh, you know, University of UW, University of Washington, the, the underlying data frameworks are the same, which allows me then to say, all right, are the metrics that we're aspiring to reasonable for our situation? Are the process measures sort of the tactical outcomes reasonable for our situation, adjusted for scale and adjusted for geography? My point being here, if we have an intelligent and efficient use of data, it can very quickly 
change our management thinking and decisions, and I think for the better. So it all underlies, what underlies all this is a much more intelligent use of available data and available systems in order to bootstrap a much higher level of thinking. So we start our thinking much better prepared, much better informed, and much more aware of the complexities and the nuances, the, the, the critical part of what we do. We are so handicapped right now by being down in the noise level. And that's that's a fixable thing, but it's there's a threshold energy there that I think can be solved by collaboration in small clumps. It would only take five or ten schools working, as you said, with the enrollment management folks or the financial folks or the pick pick any sector here of, of the the goals framework we've laid out to come up with a plausible common template that then could be peer reviewed and shared, and it would very quickly morph itself into a very representative depiction of that segment of our industry and how it should be measured and reported and analyzed. And that then changes the beginning of the management conversation. And what I would add to what John said is this this area called discipline. And, and I think that this is what is the next, uh, I think, important direction is a recognition that having this discipline and then applying it in an area where you know something. I think people take on too much of a, we need all the data to get started, or we need to have all this figured out before we get started. And I think some of the best work I've seen so far is where it doesn't have to be the president. It could be somebody who knows their area that's overseeing their particular area, whether it's the facilities area, whether it's enrollment management, and say, Let's put some discipline around this and use this as a framework, understand our data where we're trying to go, have a common set of uh, language that we're going to use to represent this, and then see it from the beginning to end, and then use that as a way to share with others, recognizing that the discipline, just like working out, you do not see the results right away. You know you'll get there if you stick with it. But I think that the piece that's missing that that I'm seeing and I think that John sees where some do a great job and others don't is this idea of being willing to step forward in the face of uncertainty, put some rigor behind it, and find an area where you, where you know well enough, and then that particular leader takes initiative and then expand on it. I think John's also idea about – sharing, being willing to go to other institutions and say, let's work together on this. That is a huge benefit to build a momentum to be able to make progress in that conversation. Absolutely fascinating, gents. Uh, this has uh, been a, a wonderful hour. I want to thank you both for your for your time. John uh, Eldert, uh, VP uh, of Administration. VP of Admissions or Administration, John, help me. Administration. Administration. Oh, VP of administration. administration. All the stuff that nobody else doesn't want to do. <laughs> it's, every, every, it's all the other hats. That's right. Uh, John Eldert, VP of administration from Berkeley College of Music. Thank you so much, so much for your valuable wisdom and time today. Yes, thank you, John. Well, my pleasure. It's fun to talk about this stuff, and it's actually fun to work on it. Yeah. Well, that's And that's what John and I are doing, by the way, Pete. We are working on this together. Fantastic. And, and what, so what is the next step, Howard? I mean, you're working on, are you working on a paper, a presentation for Nakubo? Is that where we can see more about this? Or, or uh, when, when can we digest more of it? 
Well, John and I are, are going to continue this dialogue. We are we are starting to write some things. We're, we're going to uh, the, the plan is to put out a white paper and ultimately uh, to find some opportunity to speak about this in a way that can really produce some positive action uh, in some of the institutions that uh, we come in contact with. So we've got a lot of sort of diagrams and, and pictorial elements to add on to the words here. We've got some uh, fledgling templates that capture some of the relationships. They're just waiting to have data put into them. Yeah, sure. you know, so we're, we're not starting from scratch. Surely. Well, it's clearly a fodder for a great further discussion and exploration. And, and uh, I think, uh, you know, we look forward to being able to post more about it uh, and, and give more resources to folks. This is a, a great discussion. So, again, thank you for your time. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this discussion. For downloading the show, you can learn more about the show at tybalink.com. Uh, just look for the, uh, for the Navigating Change podcast link. You can subscribe to the show in the iTunes podcast directory for free. Just go to open iTunes in the uh, iTunes store and search for Navigating Change. You will find us uh, very easy to spot there. And uh, as ever, if you have any questions or comments, please write to us uh, on the show. You can contact us through the website at tybalink.com. On behalf of John Eldert and Howard Tybel, my name is Pete Wright. Thanks again for joining us for this issue of Navigating Change.